This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. How are you, mate? Very well, thanks. An absolutely massive week coming up, both domestically in the UK and globally. Before we talk about this extraordinary week that's coming up, let's just get the latest from overnight in the Far East, because we saw two important things happen. China didn't cut its rates, and we've had some higher inflation figures in Japan. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start with China, because it's interesting. They they really are between a rock and a hard place right now. On the one hand, they want to support the economy, which we've seen for many months now is flagging turmoil in the property market combined with its continued zero covid policy means that it's creating severe headwinds for itself or has created severe headwinds for itself that it's really struggling to navigate and in these scenarios typically you would expect the central bank to be cutting interest rates especially when inflation is well within target as it already is in china but on the other hand it has a weak currency and it has a currency that because of the strength of other currencies in particular the us dollar as a result of all the rate hikes it's weakening at a considerable pace to the point that the PBOC has been continually trying to prop it up in order to stop it falling too fast and causing economic harm. So we've been seeing these daily fixes which have been set stronger than what markets are expecting and the way these markets are trading in order to try and achieve that goal. So when you have that and you think you should be cutting in trades to support the economy but that could in turn weaken the currency even further and make that job even harder, you're trying to find this balance between the two. We saw a rate cut from the PBOC two months ago and it held off now. It wasn't a surprise because we saw the MLF which is the medium term lending facility, they kept that rate unchanged changed last week and that tends to be a precursor to what we can expect from the one and five year loan prime rates which is what we got today so it's not that it was a surprise and it's also the fact that these rate cuts are having limited impact and the reason for that is because there seems to be a bit of a liquidity trap in China there's just not the demand for these loans so from a rate cutting perspective trying to stimulate the economy it's a bit like trying to push on a piece of string it's just not having much of an impact so when you've got the dramatic downside that with the currency of doing this and no real upside, it seems a bit of a no-brainer that until you can solve this demand problem, then these rate cuts are going to have limited impact on a positive nature and therefore there's a limited point in doing them. And meanwhile, did those higher inflation figures in Japan surprise markets? It was a slight surprise to see it beat expectations a little bit, but it's not beating expectations enough to actually make a considerable difference. So the Bank of Japan, which meets overnight Wednesday going into Thursday here in the UK, they are not expected to do anything different on the back of this. Now, what was interesting is from a core perspective, we did see slightly more signs of uh, this becoming a little bit more widespread, but not enough. The key drivers of inflation in Japan are still things like energy and food inflation, which is kind of externally driven, which is why the Bank of Japan is allowing inflation to currently run above their target without actually adapting monetary policy in any considerable way, which could potentially support the currency if it was able to do so, because it just doesn't think that this inflation is sustainable and it will find itself back in this kind of deflationary trap uh, once more. So it's being very cautious when it comes to looking at this inflation data and what it's prepared to look through in order to generate sustainable inflation. 
And where this leaves us is that even though the inflation data was slightly stronger overnight, the yen today is uh, a little bit weaker because still the expectation is that unless something changes, either from a Bank of Japan perspective based on sustainable inflation or if the Ministry of Finance actually intervenes in the Forex markets, which it hasn't at this point in time, then there isn't actually much of a bullish case for the yen. Of course, that may change. We know that the Bank of Japan uh, did a rate check in the markets only a week or two ago. So we know that they are becoming a little bit more serious about the possibility of intervention. The first intervention, I should stress, since 1998. But at this point in time, it's been all talk and no action. And with that in mind, that's why we're seeing the yen trading at 143 to the US dollar at this point in time, going up to 144. And it was just shy of 145 that the Bank of Japan conducted that rate check. So that's a level that I think investors, traders are going to continue to keep a close eye on. Well, Craig, as I said earlier, it's a huge week right across the world, a massive one for central banks. So many expected to raise rates. We're going to hear from the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, of course, on Thursday, the Bank of Japan, Swiss National Bank, South Africa, Turkey. The list could go on. Let's start with the Bank of England, because we're here in the UK. Is it nailed on at 75 basis points, this increase? It's not nailed on, but the markets are pricing in around a 75% chance at this point in time. So they are very serious that uh, a 75 basis point rate hike is very much on the table and the more likely of the outcomes. But I don't think it's a given and it's something that we'll talk on shortly. There's still a lot of uncertain factors that the Bank of England has to contend with. So you can understand maybe the argument for playing it a little bit safe. We have this emergency budget just one day later. That has to come into the Bank of England's thinking. Also, their most recent economic forecast priced in the energy bill hike rising by 80% in October, which is no longer going to happen. So they need to revise their inflation forecast, their growth forecasts, with that in mind, as well as anything else that's announced on Friday. So you can almost understand why they may be a little bit more conservative and go with 50 this time around, although it hasn't worked out well for them in the past to take the more conservative option. So you can also strongly understand an argument for 75 basis points. It's just that level of uncertainty, which will go into their consideration and their debate uh, around that. So I think either of those, for me, is equally as likely, to be quite honest. I think the market's maybe slightly underpricing the possibility of a 50 basis point rate hike. For other central banks, it's a little bit more nailed on, it seems. And I think the Federal Reserve, for example, is actually more nailed on. You've got a 75 basis point rate hike is now fully priced in. In fact, the market actually see an 81% chance of a 75 basis point rate hike and a 19% chance of a, a full 1% rate hike. So this inflation data early last week really was an eye-opener, uh, I think, for the markets because I think they were hoping for another favourable inflation number, which could allow the Fed to slightly ease off the break with a 50 basis point rate hike this week. So that's very much uh, changed quite quickly. We've talked about the Bank of Japan, uh, which are obviously seemingly are going to do very little. The Swiss National Bank could raise rates by a full basis point as well. So they're currently still with the S&P policy rate is minus 0.25%, which is quite staggering in this day and age. Uh, uh, and yet the markets are pricing in a 72% chance for full percentage point rate hike, 27% chance of a 0.5% rate hike. And the list just kind of goes on. The only outlier here is one of the ones you mentioned earlier, which is Turkey. And because inflation is only running at slightly above 80%, the odds are that they are going to cut rates again by another one full percentage point. <laughs> but of course, it has to be the most counterintuitive uh, economic decision in history. Going back to the UK, you mentioned the mini budget. That's on Friday. This is uh, the new Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng. Amongst a number of measures expected to reverse a rise in national insurance, 
scrap an increase in corporation tax. All this is going to cost the exchequer quite a lot of money and there could be a cut in the basic rate of income tax as well. Of course, the government is going very much for growth, which again, may be counterintuitive when you consider that inflation is such a big threat. With that rate rise from the Bank of England, will they be mindful of not too high a rate hike just in case it pushes us further towards a recession or is a recession already underway? You could argue that a recession is already underway and you look at things like the retail sales data last week to back that up. But the problem, and this is the problem that we've kind of got with the UK right now, because we've just had a leadership election within the Conservative Party and we've now got a new Prime Minister, we've gone through two months of a policy void at a time when we needed policy certainty. So this means that we've got all of these economic projections which have needed considerably updating and will probably need updating again after Friday. And even then, there will be a certain amount of uncertainty about the economic damage which has happened in the interim because people have changed their habits and changed the way they are behaving because of the uncertainty to do with an 80% increase in their energy bills, for example. And So it's very difficult at this point for the Bank of England's perspective. What they can do, uh, and you can imagine they've probably, maybe there's been a few words in the air about what's going to be announced on Friday so they can at least try and form their own judgments, but they don't have really any solid data in which to act. I think from what they could do, though, as I said earlier, and I do think it is a bit of a coin toss at this point in time, they may go with 75 basis points just because they've been dragging their feet so much over the course of this year that they feel like they've effectively given themselves the room to be more aggressive now. I think the other argument here is, and this is one thing that people generally seem to agree with, is inflation is now not likely to peak as high as it was going to later this year because of the announcement on energy bills. But in the longer term, core inflation is expected to be higher because there'll be stronger demand. So the Bank of England may feel that that gives them the freedom to be a bit more aggressive now because ultimately core inflation is one thing that they do have some control over with interest rates, whereas energy prices, they don't. So that again could give them the freedom to go by 75 basis points. But as I say, for me, it's a bit of a coin toss. I think they could go either way. What's not going to change is they're probably going to follow that next meeting with the 75 basis points because they still have a big inflation problem that they need to get to grips with. But at least at the next meeting, uh, they'll have new economic projections, they'll have policy certainty, and we'll have a better grip of the data because even that retail sales data, which I said, indicates we are in a recession. That will have been heavily driven by the expectation that energy prices and energy bills were going to rise considerably in October. And now that it's not, maybe people's spending habits will change as well. Finally, Craig, while we've been talking, uh, the breaking news was a comment from Liz Truss, the UK Prime Minister, who says a new trade deal with the United States is unlikely in the short to medium term, whatever that means. Of course, the UK government had previously promised a post-Brexit deal by 2022 with the United States. It's not a surprise So, I mean, I guess this is the benefit of being the fourth British Prime Minister since the UK voted to leave the European Union, right? You're you're not really held by the promises made by past Prime Ministers. And she's also not a Brexiteer, or wasn't a Brexiteer. She's a reformed Brexiteer. And at the same time, there's a different president in the White House, so she could potentially lean on that as well, because it was quite clear at the time that Donald Trump was massively in favour of bringing the UK to the front of the queue, as it were, and striking up a quick trade deal. And Joe Biden had far different ideas about how long a trade deal would take and what hurdles had to be overcome in order to get that over the line. So this acknowledgement, while striking and while unsurprising to many of the Remainers out there who always said that this was going to be more difficult, it's not really something that will fall on Liz Truss. 
And therefore, it's something that she can almost get away with saying because people aren't going to be angrily accusing Liz Truss of misleading the public. Instead, she's telling the public what by now they must already know, which is that a trade deal with the US is not going to be straightforward and certainly as long as Joe Biden is in the White House. Okay, Craig, very interesting to talk to you today. We'll uh, speak, no doubt, very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.